they're willing to pay that extra sixpence because who gives a shit about what Benjamin Franklin looks like? Hi, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Audrey. And I'm Elliot. And this is the show where we ignore the very good conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes and instead get up close and personal with the lesser known legacies and real life bad behavior of some of history's most notable and beloved people. You know what I've been thinking about recently? It's really hard to tell at any given moment. The Biden infrastructure bill. Stop. No. Ah. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> no one cares. You didn't let me talk about it last week. <laughs> or the week before that. <laughs> yeah, I know. But infrastructure spending pays valuable dividends for the future productivity of the country. Imagine high-speed rail. Sure. I am pro-infrastructure. I am anti-talking about infrastructure <laughs> okay, fair. on this podcast. Then we can get just we can just get into it then because it's like 90 degrees in this closet. It oh, is. Man. Um, yeah, it, this is this has been quite the week. Uh, simultaneously, our air conditioner and our freezer both stopped working right at a moment when the weather's just getting warm enough where you would really notice those two things not working. Yeah, it's not been ideal. Melting. Yeah, unpleasant. Speaking of melting. Speaking of unpleasant. <laughs> who's this week's hero? Well, this week's hero is Madame Tussauds. What do you know about her? I'm going to guess she's French. She is French. And I believe that Madame Tussauds started a wax museum. Yes. That still exists in some form. Oh, in many forms. Okay. Yeah, in like 23 forms, in fact. Okay, yeah. So uh, she's the wax museum lady. She is the wax museum lady. That is all I know. Literally all I know. Okay, well, buckle up, because there's a lot to learn. Born December 1st, 1761. She was born as Anna Maria Groschultz, which is not at all a French last name. (laughs) Groschultz? (laughs) No, but born December 1st. Any clue what that means? It means it's time for Audrey's Astrology Corner. Correct. A Sagittarius born on December 1st is theatrical and flamboyant, with all two human flaws. They use their sense of humor to showcase their bubbly personality. They are impulsive, sometimes to their detriment. And despite warnings from loved ones, these feisty people are determined to live life on their own terms. Well, then we'll just have to see if she lives life on her own terms, won't we now? (laughs) I guess we will. (laughs) Do you want to be in charge of remembering to loop back to that, or should I... Or should we say one of us is and then never actually do it? Yeah, I will be in charge of remembering because I am notoriously good at remembering things. Details, in fact. Yes, let's yeah. do it. Okay. So she's born 1761 in Strasbourg, France. So let's place ourselves in the timeline of 1760s, 1770s France. Right? Lots going on. Yeah. It's before the iPhone. It is before the iPhone. Tragically... Her father dies two months before she's born as part of the Seven Years' War. Okay. That wraps up almost like right after she's born. So that kind of sucks. Yeah, that sucks. So she's born to a single mother in a sort of tumultuous period uh, in France's history. Yeah, right in the thick of the French Revolution. 
Not quite. So if you will recall from episode 12, <laughs> Marie Antoinette. Oh, I most certainly do not. Do not. King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette get married in 1770. So she, about when she's nine. Got it. By night or by 1774, King Louis XV is dead. Louis XVI ascends to the throne. He's a pretty shitty king. A whole lot's going on. So she's growing up sort of in the background of this very historic, uh, tumultuous time in France. So her mother, who doesn't have a lot of options, is trying to support the family, takes her and moves her to Switzerland, where the mother has secured a job as a housekeeper. Okay. And she is the housekeeper of a doctor. That's I, a long way to go for a housekeeper job. I think, they, I think she had connections. I so, mean, sure. Yeah. Right? So she's working as a housekeeper for this local doctor, and this doctor's name is Philippe Coutius. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, I'm just going to call him Philippe because I can for sure pronounce that. Great, great, yeah. <laughs> and not only is he a doctor, he just so happened to be one of the preeminent wax sculptors of the time. Interesting. He actually developed this skill to help train his colleagues. He would make anatomical sculptures out of wax mm. because there was a shortage of cadavers most of the time. Well, yeah. Uh, I'm glad that they didn't have enough cadavers, I guess. <laughs> I guess, yeah. We listened to that season two of Tinfold More Wicked about this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cadavers were actually like a, a big hot commodity. They still are. So um, if you're interested in donating your body to science, they get put to very good use. But at the time, doctors relied on these wax sculptures to sort of understand certain bits of anatomy that they otherwise wouldn't have access to. It was also helpful in explaining things like, what the fuck is a spleen yeah. to, <laughs> to patients? Um, and so... They're like, oh, just a ball of wax. Got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a ball of wax. Looks like this. Here it is in my body. I mean, it's not the same as having a cadaver. You can't like do surgery on it, but it was a helpful learning tool. And uh, Philippe was also fairly notorious for creating, quote, unquote, erotic sculptures. Of course. So all of that course. that implies, um, that was a side hustle that my man Philippe excelled at. <laughs> Could not make it weird. <laughs> Could not make it weird. Anyway, he he's practicing medicine. He's making these hearts out of wax. He's making other things out of wax. Eventually, his skill progresses to the point where he moves on to portraits. His portraits in wax are so good that they catch the attention of the royal family. He's actually commissioned to go make a wax portrait of Louis XV's mistress. Interesting. <laughs> His last mistress, yeah. uh, Madame du Barry. And it is, in fact, still the oldest wax portrait on display available to be seen. Wow. From 1775. Yeah, I'm surprised it hasn't melted. I know. You would think there'd be more melting in this story. There's actually zero melting. Wow. Uh, right? When you think about how um, fallible wax is, <laughs> yes. you, you don't think it's going to stand up to the the mechanism of time. Yeah, you just put on the wrong window cell with a little bit too much <laughs> sun one day and then just like got a puddle of a portrait. But no, good for them. Got, glad it lasted. Here we are with a 200 and some odd year old wax portrait of some random king's mistress. Um, but back to Marie. 
because she's still Marie at this time. Okay. She's not yet Madame. So she's Marie. She and her mother living in Philippe's house, housekeeper. Eventually, Philippe moves to Paris and they decide to move with him because he's going to have a house there also. So it's got to be kept. It's, mm-hmm. it's a whole shenanigan. You know that like where you live gets messy no matter where you live? Yeah, it turns out. Just some, never ends. Some bullshit. By by this time, the family's close. She, uh, Marie, calls Philippe Uncle Philippe. He has been mentoring her. He realizes pretty young she has this inclination for the creative arts and is good at it. He is doing this now full time, so he's not having to do surgery or um, make erotic sculptures. He's just doing portraiture. Forget about being a doctor. Man, wax portraits are the real money, guys. <laughs> it's the big money when the royals like you. Yeah, fair enough. And... If we know anything about the royals in the 1770s, it's that um, they were quite indulgent. They were living well, a little too well, actually, for their own for their own well-being. Facts. By the time Marie has lived with Philippe for 10 years, she has developed skill good enough that she is actually going to make her own portrait. Mm. There's someone who came to the studio and was like, I would like to commission a portrait and Marie is given this task. And is this like the when you're going to get a haircut and they're like, you can use you can get our haircut for 50 bucks or for 1450, you can get <laughs> one of the student haircuts. <laughs> so I don't know, but apparently it's a very good portrait she does. Wow. And it's a Voltaire. Oh, shit. Yeah. So this is not bargain basement. Somebody's scraping to get by. It might have been. He might have been on, at the, on time. the hunt for her. At the time. Voltaire, the author. Yes. She, over the next few years, she makes portraits of Rousseau. Benjamin Franklin is a patron. Uh, she goes on to make a bunch more portraits of prominent French politicians. Oh, so this is like, this is not the discount haircuts. She's like at the A-list doing the portraits yes. for the important people. And this is an like an in vogue thing to have done, right? There's no cameras. So you basically have two ways of immortalizing yourself. One is with paint and the yep. other other is with wax and wax looks like way cooler. I did not understand what a thing wax was. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Why is it not a thing anymore? Because we have the camera. Well, yeah, that does seem easier, but still. Yeah, I know. Bring it back, man. There's a market. It's it's there. Okay. All you have to know how how to do is be a world-class sculptor. You can use whatever medium you want. I do think this is why 3D printing was invented, honestly. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so maybe this is not the million-dollar business idea, I thought. Uh, still taking investors, though. If you're interested, let me know. <laughs> Through these connections with all of these important people, she ends up, you know, like you said, making a name for herself. She's got this reputation. She is eventually invited to the royal, like, court to be an art tutor for Louis the Sixteenth's sister, which is kind of a big deal. Yeah, sounds like it. It's the 1780s at this point, right? She's in her 20s. She's living large. And then all of it comes crashing down. The wax? Uh, Yeah, kind of, actually. So check this. <laughs> it's July 12th of 1789. A mob of folks hear that in her studio with Philippe, she shares the studio with him, there are busts of all of these famous politicians. And mm. so they break in, they decapitate all of these wax statues, put them on spikes, and parade through town. 
Wait, so they were busts when they decapitate them. It's basically just head and shoulders. Yeah, yeah, but, but they they're still symbolically it's a cutting head on a spike. The cutting the head off of the shoulders <laughs> just to yeah. put it on a spike. Yes, that yes. is making a point. It is. The mob was shot at by the royals, I guess. I don't know the royal army, and essentially that prompts the storming of the Bastille two days later. So her wax sculptures led to the storming of the Bastille. Led to the storming of the Bastille. Revolution begins. And you know what? The business of wax modeling kind of picks up. Wait, it picks up after that? Yeah, especially for prominent people, especially prominent people who were guillotined. Okay, what? To answer that question, let me just read you the title of an article by Gunaz Khan in National Geographic. The title of this article is Madame Tussaud used beheaded politicians to create her original waxworks. Oh, wow. And her ability to do this actually saved her from the guillotine herself. Wait, what? I know. It's it's wild. So remember how she's tutoring the king's sister? Yes. Everybody's like, oh, you're a royal sympathizer. You're rounded up and your head's being cut off too. Philippe hears about this. He realizes that... Marie has been rounded up. Her head has been shaved. She's like days away from the guillotine herself. And he convinces people to let her go on the condition that she can prove she is she is like liberal ideology and she is in support of the revolution. And so the way she makes this happen, the way she makes good on this condition is that she uses her craft to create the death masks and whole body casts of the recently guillotine King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, so that they too could be put on a stake and paraded around town to symbolize the fall of the royal regime. Regime. Wait, so after they cut the head off the king, mm-hmm. Madame like, Tussaud is the one. What? Who made his death mask and like three D full on bust? This is King Louis's head in wax. So they could put his head on a stake. Yeah. Well, I mean. That's one escape plan. Uh, It worked for her. It worked. And, of course, they were not the only ones who were guillotined. And she later stated in her memoirs that the way she got good at making faces, even better at making faces, is she would rummage, these are her own words, quote, unquote, rummage through the piles of severed heads, which were displayed in public squares, to find the most interesting faces and to use them to make terror-inducing death masks. Rummage through the severed heads is not where I expected this to go. No! No, no one expected it to go there. Wild. So that happened. Okay, and it worked out for her. She she managed to keep her head firmly attached to her shoulders. And she's got a bunch of wax heads back where she's chilling. Revolution ends. 1794, Philippe dies. And he leaves her his entire wax collection. Wow. And this is just literally the guy who started off hiring her mom to clean the house. Yes. Now he basically leaves everything to her. Leaves everything to her. At this point, she's 33. She survived the revolution. Heads are not rolling in the street anymore. Nothing to rummage through. growing back after being shaved. (laughs) Yeah, it's grown back. She decides that maybe she should marry a modest but respected civil engineer and have this stable life. So she marries Francois Tussaud. But that stability is short-lived. 
she and her husband have three children. Two of them survive, but he ends up being just a real dick, and she hates him. She also realizes that even though the revolution is over, the turmoil is not. If you will recall from episode one, which you probably don't, but Napoleon, he was not about that sort of like peaceful, let's, you know, get everybody back together on the same side life. No, he was not. So she likely feared for her safety again. And so she decides to move to London. Her husband does not go with her, but she does bring one of her sons and all of her wax models. And some of Philippe's wax models, too. These wax models travel well? I, I just expected them to get busted up in the luggage. Like, I wouldn't trust, I wouldn't trust, you know, a Lego figurine yeah. that I constructed <laughs> to, like, go on a trip with me on an airline. But she's putting wax heads in suitcases, and she's expecting them to make the journey unharmed? I don't know the mechanics of it, but what I do know is in 1802, she shows up in England. She has trunks full of decapitated heads. Well, are they the real heads or the, just the wax ones? The wax, okay. yeah. Just a, a whole bunch Modeled of... Modeled after the real thing, but yes. still the wax ones. When she gets there, it is the beginning of a 33-year tour of the British Isles where she sets up exhibitions all across a variety of territories of these famous people's heads, of other random people's heads, and also um, models of specific torture devices, the guillotine, some other, like, chains. It's just pretty grotesque. You know, it takes a certain kind of vision to show up in a new country that you've never lived in (laughs) and to say to yourself, what have I got? I got a kid. A suitcase full of heads. I smell a business opportunity. <laughs> like this is what's gonna. This is what's gonna let us make it big. Here's what she realized, because she had witnessed actual like guillotining. She went. She realized that like people actually want to come see that. The crowds gather. Hmm. There's this uh, morbid obsession or curiosity with death that you know she thinks she can make a couple bucks on in England. And so she goes there. The first place that she sets up is at the Lyceum Museum. I don't know if Lyceum means anything, but now that I say it out loud, Lyceum Museum, that's where it started. Sounds like it should mean something, but okay. Right. She was given two spaces there. And for the rest of her exhibitions, she would always need two spaces. One for her most popular exhibit, which cost an an extra six pence to see. And this exhibit was called the Chamber of Horrors. So this is where all of the decapitated heads are. It's mostly busts of infamous criminals, murderers. And some of the wax models were also made of criminals in France from, you know, 30 years before that Philippe had made. But she was able to display them in ways that emphasized the uh, taboo nature of these characters. So that's the first space. The second space was called like the more noble space. It is where the busts of historic figures, Benjamin Franklin, et cetera, et cetera, would be displayed. Sometimes full body, right? She was getting in the business of full body. But at first, it was just a lot of busts. People eat the shit up. They're willing to pay that extra sixpence because who gives a shit about what Benjamin Franklin looks like? Sure. Yes. The... Uh, Chamber of Horrors grows and grows. That is the money, the money spot for her. <laughs> she eventually um, settles down after 33 years of traveling. So she's in her late 60s or 
something like that, uh, finds a place on Baker Street, I believe, like the Baker Street Bazaar, permanent, original, permanent brick and mortar Madame Tussauds Wax Museum. Going from a road show to a respectable establishment with their severed heads. (laughs) Yes. Uh. She goes on to live another 15 years. She dies peacefully in her sleep. So that's the end of, like, her life, but not so much her legacy. Sort of think about Madame Tussauds museums now as this kitsch museum for tourists. Have you have you ever been to one? No, I don't think so. Okay, I have. I have been to a Madame Tussauds in San Antonio, I believe. Is there one in San Antonio? I believe. Okay. I believe. This is is a deep memory that resurfaced when I was doing this. Anyway. Yeah, maybe maybe that's true. Maybe on vacation as a kid, like, (sighs) yeah, maybe this is now you're just suggesting it to me and I'm impressionable. But I feel like (laughs) that's the kind of thing that as a kid on vacation in the 90s, you end up someplace where there's not that much to do and you end up in one of these wax museums. Exactly. You you ride a boat down the river and you step off and there's a wax museum. Big and bright. Again, tourist thing to do. But when you think about it, right, if you think about the origins of Madame Tussauds museums, it's a museum of decapitated people's heads on display. Yes. And it's a place where people could get up close and personal with the face of criminals, with the idea of of death. It's very dark, very gruesome. We think of like Michael Jackson, Mariah Carey, uh, I don't know, Kim Kardashian, when you think of it. But the Chamber of Horrors continued to grow as like one of the most popular spots in Madame Tussauds. I never, I have never even heard of this. Wait, they still have the Chamber of Horrors? It got so scary that in 2016, children and pregnant women were warned not to go into it. No way. Yes. So listen to this. The Chamber of Horrors was renovated, the original one. This is the one in London, but Mm -hmm. they have them in lots of other ones. The Chamber of Horrors was renovated in 1996 at a cost of $1.5 million, uh, was expanded to feature not just criminals and murderers, but to really tell the story, the history of crime and punishment. So it included items from the Newgate prison. It featured replicas of instruments of torture, displayed among actors who would like groan and scream wait wait not wax figures actual actors like pretending to be tortured yes yes they started to bring in live people uh, amongst the wax statues and you kind of never knew which ones were which i mean you kind of did but like sometimes you didn't yeah sometimes you're like walking up to a wax figure and it just like screams at you all of a sudden yes so actors in makeup would just lurch out at you and it caused a lot of chaos. <laughs> it also um, grew in its collection of terrible people it featured to include Vlad the Impaler, Genghis Khan, Hitler. Mm. At one point, Jack the Ripper was proposed, but Madame Tussauds had a policy. If, they, if you did not know what they looked like, if they had never been seen. And Jack the Ripper never, never was caught. Right. So he's just a shadow. He was a shadow painted on the floor. Her idea of the Chamber of Horrors lives on. In fact, many of the wax figures that she sculpted herself are still on display. Still? Uh, Still, including a self-portrait. Wow. Yeah. Some were lost in a bombing of buildings in World War II in London. So, Again, the wax figures, 
you're like somewhere lost. I was like, oh yeah, they got left out and the heat might have melted. No, a bombing. It took a bombing to blow <laughs> the wax figures. This, they just remarkably resilient is what I'm learning. I don't believe it's candle wax. If I had to wager a guess, it's probably some sort of other wax, but I have no expertise in this area. Yeah, where's the wax expert? That's what we really need to be talking to. Tweet at us. Tell us we're wrong. We'll apologize profusely in the next episode. So apart from the Chamber of Horrors scaring pregnant women, the museum conglomerate has been involved in a number of other scandals and controversies over the years, including when in 2008, someone broke past the security guards and decapitated Hitler's model. Okay. Stomped on its head, kicked it around, mm-hmm. whole big thing. Yep. Not the first time. Imagine not. Hitler's sculpture was vandalized pretty consistently starting in 1933. He was infamous enough then to have his own wax figure in this museum. Uh, the same thing happened to P. Diddy's wax figure. P. Diddy? What? Presumably not for the same reason. <laughs> well, you never know. But somebody ripped off Diddy's head, stomped on it, kicked it around... Sounds like ludicrous to me. (laughs) Then there was another recent controversy in which Beyonce's figure had to be redone because her skin was rendered too light, and that's problematic. Yeah, interesting. Whitewashed. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you will recall this. I recall this vividly, but around that same time, Nicki Minaj's wax figure also caused quite a bit of a stir. I do not remember this. Okay. So, context. There are no rules for interacting with most of the statues. What do you mean? Or figures. Like, you can touch them, you can hug them, you can wrap your arm around it, you can take photos with it. Wait, like, they're there are not, no like, rules. behind a, a bar or a oh, like no. glass? Some of them are. So, like, for example, the, uh, Tussauds always has a policy of having the sitting president mm-hmm. be... Um, separated out. Separated and featured. They had to get extra security for Trump's because it's provocative. In a number of ways. I remember Trump's they had to, the one factoid about that I do remember is that they had to actually pull it from display for a while in mm. London because uh, it was just getting so much spit accumulated on it during the day. Yeah. 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 But for most of them, you can interact with them. There's actually a team of makeup artists and hair folks who every day have to go around and touch up all the models at the end of the day. That's weird. Or at the beginning of the day because people interact with them, right? Nicki Minaj, 2015, wax statue figure is unveiled. Anaconda, big hit at the time. Madame Tussauds was like, you know what we're going to do? We are going to take um, Nicki Minaj from Anaconda and make that the Nicki Minaj in our museum. And that Nicki Minaj is scantily clad on all fours. Uh, I see. Like you can make a presumption about what happens when the public has free access to a wax figure on all fours. Yes, I can. They had to do a couple things about that. (laughs) On the other end of the controversy spectrum, ooh la la, Mother Teresa actually refused to have her image made into a model. This, like, never happens. She said she wanted her work, not her image, to be remembered. Call back to episode four. This is a big callback episode. Well, fine. We'll remember you by your works. There you go. Yeah. I feel like a wax sculpture would have been better. Oh, yeah. Definite upgrade. Definitely. Over the years, there have also been petitions to add and remove various figures. At the peak of the Me Too movement, there was a petition to get Matt Lauer off the floor. So he was off the floor. Madame Tussauds has a policy 
where they're like, we are apolitical, but we like to be responsive to cultural moments. So when it's Grammy season, for example, they'll go change Ariana Grande's dress into something formal. Or um, during the Me Too movement, Natalie Portman's statue got a the Time's Up pin, right? They try and stay cool, hip, like we're the cool kids and we mm-hmm. don't have wax figures from 250 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> yes, in the back room. So for taking the decapitated heads of strangers back to her studio where she made casts of them and then traveled the world exploiting them and making money off of other strangers' macabre desire to witness the horror of death firsthand, Madame Tussaud is not my hero. Other than that, I don't have that much to dislike her for. Yeah, kind of got to respect it, frankly, I think. Yeah, she had a hustle. Yeah. She has a legacy. Um, Of that legacy, Michelle Bloom, a professor of comparative literature and French at the University of California, Riverside, who's also like a respected author, wrote an actual book about this, said, quote, wax works have the simultaneous lifelikeness and deathlikeness. But a wax figure can pass for a living person at the same time that it's very corpse-like. I think we are drawn to both, really. And I think Madame Tussaud understood that. Got the appeal of, like, this strange, grotesque, otherworldly, a little, like, closeness to somebody famous or dangerous or gross. And, uh, yeah, really cleaned up. So there you have it. The bizarre beginnings, morbid legacy. Uh, I knew none of this before the research. I really honestly thought Madame Tussaud was like Betty Crocker, fully made <laughs> up. And, and like not a real person. Yeah, just making Justin Bieber sculptures, trying to stay hip and cool and relevant. But uh, no, much darker. Yeah, well, if people would like to get uh, uncomfortably close to a corpse-like representation of ourselves that is both personal yet somehow coldly removed from the realities of human life, where can they find us? They can find us on social media at Your Heroes Pod or on our website at MeetYourHeroesPodcast.com. Yep, and please like, share, rate, review, spread the word, tell your friends... And until next week, don't be a hero. Don't be a hero. Bye.